Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. Until the results of the follow-up trial for Index and Adelph are available, many questions remain in clinicians' minds about the appropriate pharmacological intervention or potentially interventions for patients experiencing life-threatening bleeding secondary to oral factor 10A inhibitors. The ability to chronically anticoagulate a patient has prevented significant morbidity and mortality from thromboembolic events. Over time, our anticoagulation choices for oral use have evolved but the need for a reversal agent still persists. I'm Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director in the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence and your program host. Today, we will review the clinical implications of decision-making in this space with two of my Vizient colleagues, Dr. Stacy Lauderdale, Senior Director of Drug Information, and Dr. David Reardon, Senior Director of Pharmacy Networks. Welcome, Stacy and David. Thanks, Gretchen. It's a pleasure to join you today on the podcast. Yes, thanks, Gretchen. Happy to be here today. David, tell us why this is an important topic. Sure, Gretchen. So warfarin has been the cornerstone of oral anticoagulant therapy since the mid-50s, and I think most, if not all, pharmacists are acutely aware of the neurotherapeutic index nature of the drug, the interpatient variability, the drug-drug interactions, the drug-food interactions, and I think most importantly, the need for frequent and routine monitoring. As with all anticoagulants, serious adverse events, specifically bleeding and thrombosis, can occur if not managed appropriately. How has this space evolved? Yeah, in 2011, we actually saw the approval of a new class of oral factor 10A inhibitors, which kind of drastically changed the oral anticoagulant landscape. They're primarily used for venous thromboembolism and atrial fibrillation. Most clinicians are familiar with them, but apixaban and rivaroxaban are the most commonly used agents in this class. One of the big differences over warfarin is they have a much wider therapeutic window, less drug-drug interactions, and less drug-food interactions. And I think, again, back to warfarin, the important part is there's no need for routine monitoring. But there still is a concern about thrombosis and bleeding if not managed appropriately. Hence the need for better reversal agents. Correct. With warfarin, we had many years of experience using different agents, including prothrombin complex concentrates or PCCs. We use fresh frozen plasma or FFP and vitamin K. With the introduction of this new class of drugs, there became an immediate need for guidance and potentially new therapies to address clinically significant bleeding secondary to their use. Initial guidance supported the PCCs in support of care. And then in May of 2018, we actually saw a new drug enter the market. Uh, coagulation factor 10A, or indexinet alpha, was approved by the FDA. And one thing that's important to note about the approval is it did undergo an accelerated biologics license application and was conditionally approved based on some surrogate markers in the trials that were undertaken. Because of the surrogate markers and not clinical or hard clinical outcomes being studied, an additional trial was requested by the FDA, and that trial is currently underway. So until we have the results of that trial, we don't necessarily know for sure that indexinet alpha is as effective of a therapy or is more effective than anything else on the market. Well, that's interesting. And Stacy, with that uncertainty in this space, how does Vizian approach therapeutic controversies like this one? So that's a, a great question, Gretchen. At Vizient, oftentimes our pharmacy program and membership will approach us and ask for best practices for either managing a therapeutic controversy or perhaps managing the utilization of a high-cost agent such as indexinet. 
And in certain cases, what we at Vizient will do is we will convene a panel of external subject matter experts. And this is exactly what we did to address Indexanet and really more broadly speaking, the pharmacological reversal agents for factor 10A inhibitor related bleeding. We actually went ahead and convened an expert panel of 10 specialists in July of 2020. In January of 2021, we published the proceedings of this task force as a consensus-based document. And the consensus-based document is divided into two different domains. In the first domain, the panel was asked to rate the comparative clinical effectiveness of these different pharmacological reversal agents merely based on the published available evidence. In the second domain, we asked the panel to provide their expert opinion on a series of different questions. And these questions range anywhere from, are there certain clinical scenarios that might favor one pharmacological reversal agent over another? All the way to, would there be ever a clinical scenario where you might use reversal agents in combination? Now, as I stated, this was a consensus-driven paper, and we defined consensus as 60% agreement amongst our panel members, and we drove consensus by using a modified Delphi approach. Wow, what an excellent resource. David, what do we see in the literature? Yeah, it's a great question, Gretchen. Prior to the approval of Indexanet Alpha, most national guidelines actually supported the use of a weight-based four-factor PCC approach to reversing the oral factor 10A inhibitors. With the approval of Andexanet Alpha, some national guidelines changed their recommendation to support Andexanet, while others remain silent. I think it's important to note the ones that did recommend Andexanet Alpha did with a pretty weak rating overall. So I think as clinicians look at this space, you can start with national guidelines, but because of the weak rating there, clinicians really need to go to the literature themselves and evaluate what studies were completed, what the endpoints were, and really how can we compare some of this literature to what's happening locally. That makes sense. Um, how strong is the evidence? I would say poor at best. All of the available PCC literature is retrospective. A lot of it is looking at all comers. There aren't very strict inclusion-exclusion criteria. And conversely, Indexinet is all prospective. There's potentially better inclusion-exclusion criteria, but in neither the PCC or the Indexinet literature are there any comparative trials looking specifically at the two agents head-to-head. So it is really kind of apples to oranges when you're looking at the literature and hard to draw any significant conclusions from the different studies that have been published. Stacey, how does that translate to the conclusions of the task force, meaning how do the agents compare? So I think David in his last answer did a really great job of explaining and outlining the weaknesses of the current evidence. During the task force, we did ask the panel to rate the comparative clinical effectiveness of andexanet versus prohemostatic agents using the ICER evidence rating matrix tool. And for our listeners that may not be familiar with that tool, I would recommend that you either consult the published uh, consensus paper document or actually visit the ICER website to learn more about the tool. But in a nutshell, our expert panel determined that the comparative clinical effectiveness between indexinet and prohemostatic agents is inconclusive, meaning that there's not strong enough evidence at this point to determine if one has a therapeutic benefit over the other. I know the task force identified some factors that may influence the choice of a particular reversal agent. How can a pharmacist use that information? 
So as we've been discussing, the clinical evidence is not robust, and it's very difficult to use the clinical evidence to determine if we should use indexinet over prohemostatic agents or vice versa. And so we asked the expert panel to weigh in if there are certain clinical scenarios that may favor the use of one agent versus another, or if there's operational differences that may influence the use of one agent over another. And I think that the expert panel did a great job of outlining additional considerations other than clinical considerations that may influence the decision between a prohemostatic agent versus indexinet alpha. Well, it sounds like a lot of discussion came out of this task force. David, what should we do now with this information? I think there's a lot of things that we can take away from the task force. I think the first piece to consider is ensuring that institutions have some sort of an anticoagulation reversal policy in place. The Joint Commission National Patient Safety Goal for Anticoagulation Therapy provides guidance for what institutions should have for support around anticoagulation therapy in general, as well as specific guidance around the need for approved protocols and evidence-based guidelines for the reversal of anticoagulation. So first and foremost, I think it's worth just mentioning that you need to have some sort of policy in place. It should address standard of care, radiographical and laboratory studies, as well as appropriate pharmacological interventions. Reversal agents, such as indexinet alpha or PCCs, will not correct hemodynamic instability, so we do need to make sure that we're getting other agents on board before we're thinking about pharmacological intervention at all. That's definitely sound advice. How can our frontline pharmacists contribute? Yeah, I think pharmacists have many roles in this area. Pharmacists can really help develop and drive these protocols and drive their adoption. Kind of to Stacy's point, they can help determine whether a drug is appropriate or not based on different clinical scenarios. For example, our PCCs, the most commonly used four-factor PCC, contains a small amount of heparin. So somebody with a history of heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, for example, may not be a candidate for that drug. If a patient needs an urgent surgical intervention and dexanet alpha may not be preferred due to the need to heparinize a patient, but then pharmacists can really serve a lot of different roles at the bedside as well, helping to ensure drug is administered in a timely fashion, help to determine whether or not drug is on board to begin with from the oral factor 10A inhibitor perspective. They can help recommend different labs, interpret those labs, and then provide that thorough medication reconciliation and med history to really ensure that we're providing the appropriate therapy for the appropriate patient. That's very good advice. Stacy. in the document, the panel made a statement about using prohemostatic agents off-label for a reversal. Why is this important? And ultimately, where did the panel land on this? Gretchen, before we hosted the task force, we had a small group of subject matter experts convene to discuss what is it that we need to ask this group? Where do our gaps in knowledge exist? And one of those gaps was really around, is it ethical and legal to use something off-label when there is an FDA-approved agent that can be used? And so we asked our expert group of specialists to weigh in on this. And by 100% consensus, they agreed that use of prohemostatic agents for reversal of a factor 10A inhibitor-related bleed is ethically and legally justified, despite the fact that indexinet is FDA-approved for it. And they used three different justifications for this. The first was they stated, you know, in the past and even currently, guidelines do recommend that prohemostatic agents can be used for reversal. Secondly, they said, the FDA has always allowed for agents to be used off-label. And thirdly, they said, right now, there is no robust head-to-head -head comparison between indexinet and prohemostatic agents to suggest 
that indexin at alpha may have a therapeutic benefit over a prohemostatic agent. Now, the task force did absolutely say if a head-to-head trial were to be published that did demonstrate that there was a difference, then obviously the statement would change. Yeah, I think that's that's a great summary, Stacy. And I think one thing that I'd add to that is it's important for people to keep in mind that the FDA reviews what's submitted to them for approval. So there could be evidence out in the literature to support the use of one drug for a particular indication. And if a manufacturer does not go forward with FDA approval, you're not going to have that to support its use. But that doesn't mean that there isn't that clinical evidence to support using one therapy over another. Well, these are definitely challenging and important discussions, and I appreciate both of your insights. So really, for either of you, are there any other considerations that clinicians should be thinking of at this time? Gretchen, I think there is one additional thing, and I know Stacy touched on it initially, but with all things being considered equal, that is to say that if uh, clinical efficacy and safety is the same between two agents, I do think that there is a budgetary consideration that should be taken into account. With the two agents, the prothrombin complex concentrates or PCCs and indexin at alpha, we do see a significant difference in the cost of these agents. PCCs generally tend to be about 50 to 75% less expensive overall. So there may be some consideration towards a PCC from a budgetary standpoint. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Indexin at Alpha does have a new technologies add-on payment or NTAP. For those that aren't familiar, this is an additional payment that CMS will allow for for qualifying Medicare specifically in patient cases with new high-cost technologies. So that does help offset the cost of Indexinet, but still PCCs could potentially be a more budget-friendly alternative to Indexinet if there isn't any evidence to support any sort of clinical or safety benefit to Indexinet over PCCs. So what's the bottom line? Are we able to recommend a particular therapy? Unfortunately, no, not at this time. I think we are anxiously awaiting the trial data from the follow-up study for Indexinet Alpha that the FDA requested. At this time, I really think it's up to local institutions to review their patient population, the literature, and really understand what their targets with therapy are and try to make the best decision locally that they can. That makes sense. Stacey, what can we expect from Vizient for future task forces? Yeah, I'm really excited to announce in 2021, we plan to hold two additional expert task forces, one focusing on the evidence-based utilization of Sigamidex and the other focusing on the evidence-based utilization of Altiplace. Stacey and David, thank you so much for joining us today to share your insights. And to our listeners, please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening.